What's up, War Report family? It's your boy, Mike G, here with my guy, Auburn Memes for our weekly memes podcast sit-down. Memes, what's going on with you today, man? Oh, man, you know how it is. Another week. Uh, Mondays are better when you wake up an SEC champion. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's how my Monday is. Looking forward to doing it again next Monday, too. Yeah, for sure. Listen, well, <clears throat> Auburn did wake up SEC champions uh, just recently. SEC regular season champions. Uh, it was close. It was a close call. It came right down to the final week. I think there were three teams that could have grabbed the share of the SEC regular season crown. Auburn closed out two straight victories to claim it. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot lately, uh, just kind of being on Twitter and and. And I, I won't lie, it's mostly Gonzaga fans that uh, have driven the uh, discussion I've been trying to work out in my head about what, what is a new a blue blood? What's a blue blood? And can you really be a blue blood with no championships in the last two decades? They seem to think they're blue bloods. You know, people are asking the question about whether Auburn is becoming a blue blood. Bruce Pearl has said... He has no interest in, in being a blue blood. But uh, I think maybe let's kick the discussion off talking about what qualifies you as a blue blood. Yeah, well, I mean, Bruce said he didn't want to be a blue blood or nor new blood. He just just wants to win some games. I mean, I like the mindset. I don't think you need to distract the mission of the program for arbitrary titles that you don't hang banners for. I think uh, let win basketball games and just let history decide where you fit in it. So I love, I love uh, kind of how Bruce is handling that. But for the definitive answer, I did check the term blue blood is not in the Webster's dictionary. So <laughs> was it an it, urban dictionary? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it actually, it actually might be, but it, typically it's, it's funny if you just Google, what is a blue blood? I just said, what is a blood? What is a blue blood in basketball? It's funny, you get who are the blue bloods. It doesn't really explain why they're blue bloods or sort of what definitive categories that have to be checked to be deemed a blue blood. So your tick your 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 six typical blue bloods that you're gonna find from the just unanimous internet expert column gonna be your typical Kentucky, Kansas, UNC, Duke, UCLA, Indiana. Mm. And that is where we can really kind of stir that conversation because some blood may be bluer than others. Some blood may be a little bit warmer than others as far as recent success there. And there's a few fringe teams that can make an argument. We'll jump into that here in a second. But what those teams seem to have in common is going to be just decades of consistent performance and historical performance from conference, W's, postseason, putting guys in the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so is it fair to say to be a blue blood, because of the schools you just mentioned, um, what comes to the top of mind for me is all those schools have unquestioned leadership at the coaching position, right? They've got coaches that produce. Duke, Coach K, probably the best to ever do it, right? Yep, yep, yep. Um, Roy Williams at North Carolina for a long time. Uh, Kentucky, John Calipari. Uh, you know, uh, the guy at uh, Michigan State, what's his name? Um, Tom Izzo. Uh, you know, they, I, that's what I think. I think about coaching. <clears throat> Rick Pitino at Louisville for a long time. 
So you can't. So I think I think we're going to start with coaching. You cannot be a blue blood without a coach that has a process that is beyond question. Yeah, would that be think, fair to say? Yeah, I think you look at Billy Donovan as a good example of that as someone who, had he not left Florida and they had just continued doing what they were doing, mm. that's you, you'd be putting them in this conversation if yeah. he just said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and stay here and we're gonna stick it out and build the dynasty." Billy was but, was building something scary. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, well, Florida as a whole was building something scary for that, uh, you know, into the first round of the 2000s. And you see, <clears throat> you see the programs like that. Yeah, it just, just with anything, when you have consistency coaching, I mean, there's not too many programs who, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. Obviously, we're, we're doing that experiment right now with Duke and UNC, and, and UNC's kind of struggled through the transition, and we'll see what ends up happening with Duke, with, uh, with Coach K leaving. And I think that's really going to develop how this conversation would look if we could fast forward five years and say, okay, how does this, how does this uh, really look? And it pretty much, I mean, those being the best jobs in college basketball, seemingly you should be able to pretty much handpick whatever basketball coach you want, I would hope, from those programs. But yeah, it is the common denominator and it's what these guys do. And I mean, it's it's kind of a chicken and the egg argument because, you know, you look at, you look at certain guys and they will, you know, will they, is it the school or is it really the coach? And, you know, you could always, the, the Brady, was it Brady, was it Belichick type thing? But, uh, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's it. And I think you could probably make the argument that Kentucky has seen more of the turnover and still kind of held the consistency through it all. Yeah. I mean, you had, you know, when you had the early days of Patino there and you, um, you know, went into Tubby Smith and so on and so on. So, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, you know, these teams will show that consistency. Like I said, Duke, obviously, being, I mean, how long Coach K been there? Almost like since like 81 or something? Yeah, I think he was a founding member of the, you know, original groundbreaking at Duke. Like, he's been there so long. And, you know, even 80, 80 81 was his first season. Oh, my goodness. So, Duke. like 40 years. So, yeah, I mean, that's going to be the biggest case study to see, like, how, how did the, how do the traditional blue bloods do with one of the biggest coach shoe fillings in all of sports? Right, right. I mean, they've got three championships since the year 2000. Uh, they won in 2001. Uh, they won it again in 2010, and they won it in 2015. Now, uh, that is... Not like you don't see you see you see these runs in football teams like Alabama, um, USC's of the early, um, the early two thousands, right? Yeah, you know, and uh, you know, Florida had a really good run where it just seemed like they were going to crank out a couple champion uh, championships. But basketball is different. Like winning the NCAA tournament is a completely different beast, and it's really really hard to do, even for the best coaches trying to get through that sixty. You know, what is now a 68 team gauntlet, pretty much. It's difficult. It's really, really hard. So I think it starts with coaching, right? After coaching is recruiting. It's players. Now, who has had the best players? I mean, I think if you if you have the best coaches, you can attract the best players. That kind of goes unsaid. Um, but there have only been a few teams dominating that conversation as far as draft picks have been concerned, you know, over the course of of college basketball history. So at the top is Kentucky. They've got 55 first-round draft picks in their history. 
Um, following Kentucky at number one is number two, North Carolina, three, Duke, four, UCLA, five, Kansas. You know, these are these are schools we would consider blue bloods. The teams we just mentioned, right? Yeah. You know, so uh, they're definitely producing the talent. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, getting the players? You know, it, it, I mean, even even with as many players as uh, John Calipari has been able to get to come to, come to Kentucky. Um, it seems like recently his grip is slipping on the SEC somewhat. So, you know, uh, where do you rank, you know, having the players on this list? Well, let me let me jump on. I want to jump on point back to coaching and uh, mm-hmm. just going to let me just take a guess. Kansas, how many coaches have they had since 1956? Uh, like maybe like three. Close five. Five. Okay. So, yeah, that uh, that that consistency there definitely helps. Yeah, consistency is definitely important. Um, consistency in coaching means consistency in process. And if you have a good process, that will consistently produce uh, good players, hopefully. Um, if you're a player, you can see yourself playing in that system with that coach who is really good at doing what he does. And then uh, you go there and you know you become one, you know, one of these first-round draft picks that these quote-unquote blue bloods are putting out every year. All right, Mike, so, hit, me that, hit me that question one more time, though. I, I, okay. I don't want to get back. I, so, I was about to sidetrack it. Like, I need no, to No, you're good. Focused. You're good. So, like, what? Like, where do players, like, you know, I mean, is it, okay, so you mentioned it before we started the pod. You know, there is the age-old question about whether it's player or it's coach. Now, we started with coaching, but that doesn't mean that it's number one on the list. Is it just a coach who can get the players? Do the players make the coach look good, or is it the other way around? Like, where do you rank Having well, a player or having a coach in this discussion of what is a new a blue, a blue blood? Well, yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean, I think it's like baking a cake. You have all the ingredients in there for it to come out right, and you leave you leave one of those out. And for, I mean, the longest time, I mean, those were the, the top guys went to those schools because, I mean, that, that was really where, I mean, that was the top of the, the food chain. So it, it it started just feeding itself, and I, now I think we're kind of evolving into a modern era, and I think more more ways to consume sports, more games on more channels, social media, et cetera, has kind of broadened the exposure for these guys. So you don't necessarily have to go to a top 10 basketball program anymore to necessarily get, get noticed how you would and really enjoy the, the fame, the lifestyle, get the draft stock, et cetera, et cetera. The coaching, as you can now get at some of these other schools, which we're kind of evolving into, is the new blood era. And with that being said, too, I think the same deal is kind of going with coaches and facilities and stuff like this, to where these schools kind of held held their stake in it because they had the best players, they had the best coaches, they had the best facilities, they had the ISS, the fans, the culture, da 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 da. So it was sort of like no one else really got that piece of the pie. They're living the one percent of fandom, and now that's kind of starting to chip away. We're seeing a a little shift of that where you're seeing guys, top tier guys, start going to other places. I mean, really, in the last twenty years, with the advent of really in depth recruiting coverage from these team sites, we're really kind of starting to observe basketball recruits more so than we would have to say, you know, back in your daddy's day. So you can really see the talent, and it kind of helps disperse a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. The, the era of these one-and-dones going to these schools, like I said, I mean, we'll just use Jabari as the perfect example of what Bruce Pearl's done for just churning out just first-round draft picks year after year after year 
where you know, Auburn hadn't had a draft pick for 20-plus years prior to that. It's because these guys know that, hey, you know, I can go to other schools. I can play my brand of basketball. I'm not necessarily, I have a broader selection to shop from. Right. And that, that makes me, I mean, your statement makes me think that it, it is the coaching, right? The coaching well, ranks first on the list. Well, yeah. Uh, well, also, too, to get noticed, because you got to think if you're on a team with a bunch of other guys, like, where do you necessarily fit in that chemistry? Do you, mm. do you, do you get the playing time? Are you going to get the stats? Are you going to get noticed how you want to versus being the guy? Now, everyone wants to have good guys around them, so you know, they want to they go far and they want to make a tournament run and have championship talent. But if you have so much of that, is it possibly going to you know, overshadow your shine a little bit? Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> while we're here, I, I think that that is what a, a good coach can convince convince a guy that where he fits. I think that's where coaching comes in, right? You have a vision for your players and how they fit within a system and you sell them on that vision. You know, once they buy into that, uh, uh, how they produce within that system shows other players, hey, that guy is going to know what to do with me. And think about Auburn this year. Uh, Jabari Smith can take over a game. But Jabari Smith is not the only guy Auburn has that can take over a game. We've seen multiple guys do it. Uh, most recently, we saw uh, Katie Johnson do it in, in overtime uh, to, to get uh, Auburn a much-needed win. Because uh, without that win, they're sharing the SEC regular season crown. It was, Jay, it was Katie Johnson that took over. It wasn't Jabari Smith. So, you know, I, I, th I think it comes back to, I think you answered my question, it all comes back to coaching. If you have a coach who has a vision, and that vision is made plain and clear to the athlete, and the athlete can envision himself doing what is asked of him and fitting within a system, and it's benefiting not only that player, but other guys around him. Because in basketball, means in basketball, like one guy can make a world of difference for a team. You know, in football, you got, 11 players on the field at one time. If three people aren't doing their jobs, it gets really tough. In basketball, we've seen it, you know, at the pro level and at the college level. Uh, you can put a superstar with a bunch of average players and he can raise their game and also can still dominate a game. So I just think, I think it comes back to coaching. You know, if you have, if you have the coaching you can get the players to come there. Once they get there, uh, the system kind of takes over. Um, and after the system takes over, the player just the players to do their part. Um, and what is that that takes us to our last last segment of this conversation is is that once all that comes together, you know, once players and coaches and recruiting all comes together, what does that produce? And is that worthy of the blue blood title? Um, I, I want to. I got go one ahead. last. I got one last point to bring into that too, as far as the the sort of the dispersal of this. I'm just kind of worth worth considering here is the proximity for these guys who may want to be closer to home. They don't have to go plane plane trips away from home anymore. Yeah, for sure. And for some of these basketball, for some of these. You know, basketball studs to really go to the schools that they wanted to go to or play at or think they needed to go to. And they put them far away. And I'm just looking right now. I mean, Atlanta being a hotbed for basketball talent. I mean, Duke and North Carolina are both about a six hour drive from Atlanta, 
versus right. you got that you got a you got an hour and a half you got an hour and a half for um you know Auburn. It was, I'm just citing you know the guys here, just you know keeping it keeping it close to home. Right. The DMV is also a recruiting hotbed for basketball as well too. So that Maryland, Virginia, DC area produces a lot of talent um, uh, for schools like Maryland. Uh, you know, and some of those kids ultimately end up going on to to Duke and Clemson and in some of the schools in the neighboring states around. But Atlanta is is a huge recruiting advantage for a guy like Bruce Pearl. Yeah, and for guys for guys in the South, like players, like star players, for a while there, I mean, outside of a, a, a few years with Florida, with Donovan, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot of, hey, I can go play basketball fairly close to home. I mean, unless you want to consider, like I said, I mean, Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, all within a six-hour radius of Atlanta. I don't know how, how far you really want to, you know, how far you want to call it being too far, but I mean, the, the, the options were limited and that goes for guys all over the country as well. I mean, you talk about it from guys from Texas guys, uh, really in the Midwest and Northwest. I mean, where, where were they looking? Where were they looking prior? I mean, you could make the argument for some stuff in UCLA, but they can only have so many guys on these teams. So once, once the roster fills up, then where, so yeah, that's the. I mean, it's the talent with the coaching and how that sort of dispersed into the new age is. Uh, I think that's what we're about to hit to next. I, I won't get. I won't, I won't jump ahead of us too far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, like, it, yeah it's, it's it's results. The end of this discussion is results. What does the combination of coaching, top coaching, and top players produce? You know, and how often should a school that considers itself a blue blood uh, expect championships? Now. Uh, over the last 20 years, I will tell you, championships in basketball are somewhat rare or rarer than most would think, right? Uh, one of the hardest feats in, in sports, in all of sports, is winning an NCAA tournament. Uh, you got one chance, and you have to make it through a gauntlet of 68 teams, and of those teams... Anybody can, I mean, anybody can get hot. We've seen, uh, what, what was a few years back? Well, I'm saying a few years, I'm dating myself, but I think it was George Mason that made like a, a Final Four run out of nowhere, and it was like your ultimate Cinderella story. But the NCAA tournament has for a long time provided that um, opportunity for schools that most would not consider blue bloods or new bloods or old bloods or anything bloods. Well, it most definitely it most definitely has the best the best postseason of any sports. I mean, I I would I will argue anybody that on my grave. And if you think of something better, please let me know. But there's no doubt that you get into March Madness. There's just no better way because I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it evens the playing field. It still rewards programs who did very well in the regular season in a very fair way. It gives teams that may not have a chance to really shine and something to work for. And for all the teams there, I mean, it's really something that you literally hang a banner for making it. So, and then just the chaos that ensues for it, for being the biggest tournament in all of sports and no, you know, no other sport really does anything like that. And that's, that's why I think it's just really special. And as you mentioned, the way they do that, it's really kind of even the playing field for all these teams to do it. And as you've kind of been segueing with the whole, hard to win championships how do you really hold on to that and 
I think the factor, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but just looking at the data, I mean, I think the numbers you really got to look at for the consistency is the teams that are consistently in the Elite Eight. Yeah. Because you see a lot of teams that go up there, and Kentucky, the last time they won it before 2012 was 1998. Mm. 1996. So in the last 30 years... Kentucky's won it three times. Before that, it was 1978. Right. So we're about to date ourselves 50 years, and we only jumped to four. So, but if you look down at their at their Elite Eight numbers, there's too many on that list of me to count real quick without having a horrendously awkward pause. Okay, so the measure is not championships, but maybe, uh, is it Elite Eight or Sweet, Sweet 16 appearances? Well, no, I think you've got to have a championship. Okay, you've got to have one. Get, I think you've got to have a handful. Okay. I think, I think you've got to have a handful. They've got to transcend... Eras and decades of basketball. Okay. Kind fair. of starting from the top. But on top of that, you got to have that consistency too. So, what in the, the, like I said, the best spot that I'm really seeing that kind of separates the pack is those elite eights. You're going to have a handful of runner up. You're, with those will also come a handful of final fours. But you can really see these blue bloods and these teams that have done it. That Elite Eight column is loaded, and it's very consistent through multiple decades of basketball. Right. So so by that measure, even though Florida has back-to-back championships in 06 and 07, they would not be considered a blue blood because they haven't done it over multiple decades. No, I mean, if you look at, if you look at Florida's round of 32, I mean, the first time they made it was 87. They mm-hmm. made it twice in the 90s. And then you look at Elite Eights. Well, they made it the Elite Eight in 94, but then they made it a handful of times since 2000. Okay, all right. So that's where you start. That's where you kind of start scratching your head there and say, okay, well, let's look at the, uh, let's look at this, this new blood argument. You know, where, where does Florida sort of fit in that? They're a sneaky, tough team, man. It's just every year Florida is on the bubble, right? They're in the conversation for the tournament. Um, I think... Go, going back to our co- going back to our original point about having coaching at the top of the list, they lost Billy Donovan to the NBA, mm-hmm. and they haven't been the same program since they lost Billy Donovan. All these other coaches, all these other schools, you know, obviously Duke has a coach that spans like four decades, which is crazy. Um, you know, and the the other schools are keeping coaches for you know ten years, at least a decade. At least. So you got one coach that does it that decade. He hands the torch to another coach that does it for another decade. Uh, but nobody is consistently changing coaches and doing this regularly, right? Like, it's not easy to just step in, take over a program, you know, keep the recruits and uh, produce on the court. But, you know, since since 2000, um, let's see here. Uh, there is the only schools to have more then one championship since 2000. Duke. Duke has two championships. North Carolina has two championships since 2000. Actually, they got three. Um, they, they, uh, they, they banged it out in 2005, 2017, and 2009. Uh, Florida's got their back-to-backs in 06 and 07. Uh, UConn has got three. Uh, so they've got 2004, 2011, and 2014. So they had a really good run there. And then you've got Kentucky, who 
Yeah, if you ask their fans, they invented basketball, but they're yep. sitting with one championship since 2000. <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean, Kentucky's such an interesting case because they're their dominance is just so consistent, but it's just the just losing at the finish line. I think kind of that comes with the territory because Kentucky doesn't sneak up on anybody. They don't. No one. No one's going to be like, "Oh man, we play Kentucky. Maybe we should watch some film." Like Kentucky's the game. Everybody's got that one circled. I mean, that's the game people are camping out for, according to Coach Cal. Minus those dumb Auburn fans have camped out multiple <laughs> games since Kentucky, not realizing, "Hey, we don't play them again." Right. So. Yeah, I mean, it's that's that's sort of one of, the, and that's kind of with Alabama and football now. I mean, it's it's gotten to the be, it's gotten to the deal where when you're the giant in the room, everybody wants to take you down. Like everybody's coming to play you, probably a little bit harder than they played the team the week before. Mm. So I think there's a little bit, a little bit of that to do with it with them as well. And I mean, that's just that's a game, that's a team people want to beat because of who they are. I mean, they're, they're definitely one of the, the historic programs. They right. kind of make themselves the bad guys and it may be a little tad bit arrogant with the fans and the culture. So a tad. as we saw in Auburn, Auburn has uh, been a thorn in their side for the past few years. So yeah, we've definitely evened out that series. I just think we're agreeing here that the measure can't be championships because championships don't come frequently enough. Um, and spanning decades, right? It's mm-hmm. just, you know, Villanova has, uh, two in you know 2016, uh, one in 2016, one in 2018, um, and they are in the conversation. Jay Wright has built you know stability in that program there, uh, but it, it's it, it's not championships. It's it's the the teams left standing at the end when the final eight are announced. Teams you can expect to be there, right? Yeah, and and from a blue blood standpoint, I think a very interesting case. And we kind of mentioned this before the show was Indiana. A lot of historic basketball, 70s, 80s. Yeah, they made a movie about them. Right, yeah. I mean, they, they were they were playing some ball. They kind of called them, you know, that's, that's your daddy's blue blood right there. But last championship they won was 87. They were runner-up in 2002, and that was mm-hmm. also the last time they made a Final Four or an Elite Eight. So it has been 20 years since Indiana has really been in the mix. I mean, I think... That's the one you've really got to be staring at on the chopping block and say like, "Hey, you know what's um when do we when do we kind of have the conversation of where do we go from blue blood to old blood? Like where 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 do you get replaced?" And and there's no official rule book for this, but we got to start kind of asking those questions. And you know, UCLA is would kind of also be on that mix as well as far as a lot of history, trans- yep. you know, transcending that, but not a lot of modern dominance. I mean, they had 2006, 7, and 8. They were in the last Final Four. Last championship in 95. Right. And th- but you see, they made the Final Four last year. So, you know, you, you do kind of, you scratch your head on that one and say, well, okay, well, you know, that's, that's, that's at least helping their case out a little bit there. And they've had a lot of consistent appearances in the tournament. So, like, UCLA's kind of holding their own as far as where that goes. And then um, a point that I, some notes I'd made is, we made a list of new blood, blue blood, and what I'm calling them limbo teams. That's okay. not that's not the official term for it. But these would be teams that are kind of on the fence when, hey, if we're making the argument for blue blood, these are some names that we might have to consider. And I think the easiest ones up there would definitely be Michigan State and Louisville. Mm-hmm. That same level of kind of elongated consistency, but without the just big dominant flashes like some of the other guys have had. And so... 
you can make that argument that they're going to be kind of fringe on there for various reasons for and against. And a lot of people call Villanova a new blood. I think if you really look at the history there, Villanova would probably be up here in this sort of limbo deal to have, I think Villanova would have a better case saying they're a blue blood over a new blood. Right. So, and there's a handful of other teams that could really kind of fit in that list, depending upon which criteria you want to weight over some others. But that's that's where we're going to have to kind of have a conversation of, you know, when does one of those teams maybe transcend in, in Indiana might sort of... Indiana is out. not a blue blood. Indiana is not a blue blood anymore. They, um, I mean, we're not talking about them consistently, um, you know, at the end of the season. Um, you know, I'm not noting any uh, a notable amount of draft prospects that are coming out of Indiana, even though they are top 10 in total first round picks produced. Um, the results, you know, they don't have the results to match. And I couldn't even tell you who their coach is right now. Right. And, and that's the and that's the thing, too, with it is like if we're going to go to football, I mean, what, what is it like? How many is like Yale has a ton of national championships back in like the early 1900s? But like for sure. You know, we, do we really look at do we really look at an Ivy League school as like oh that's a that's the college football powerhouse? I mean, at some point we do have to draw the line, and unfortunately, we don't make the rules for that. Uh, Auburn invented a lot of things. Auburn didn't invent these rules, but people are going to start asking. Now right. let's jump into the let's jump into the new blood. What makes the new blood, and why this mm. conversation is happening, and who these teams might be? Because we got a list of new right. bloods. Right. Okay. So if you Spend any amount of time on Twitter, and I know you do. Um, a little and bit. There, yeah, and I'm there with Not you. Not much. And, uh, you spend a lot of time antagonizing Gonzaga fans. I love watching it. You, it's you been love my, to see it. It's been my new hobby um, the past few weeks, and we kind of got to befriend some of them. And I have one. I have one Gonzaga friend on Twitter. Yeah, but you know, you gotta you gotta poke the bear too. I mean, if you're if you're gonna be on there, you gotta you gotta get the goods and the bads. And mm-hmm. but it helped me learn a lot about the fandom. I will say. It is. Well, they consider themselves a blue blood. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at zero championships. Now, they've been twice to the title game twice since 2017. Uh, they lost to Baylor last year and they made it uh, versus North Carolina in 2017 and they lost that one. Uh, they have been consistently in the conversation, but I'm not sure. I mean, they're not on our. They're not top 20 in draft picks all time. So it's not like they're steadily producing, you know, solid NBA players. I know they've had a few players come out of there of note, but I would not call them a draft pick powerhouse. Mm -hmm. And they have consistently one of the easiest paths to uh, a regular season record that might garner them a one seed. So right now they've got them slated as a number one overall seed in the tournament. I would argue they had one of the weakest conference schedules of teams that are going to be seeded one or two in this tournament. You know, I, I don't think you can argue that uh, Gonzaga ran a gauntlet even similar to what Auburn had to to get to win their conference outright. Uh, and be in contention for a one seed. So I think Gonzaga is definitely the kind of teetering on the edge there. Um, Michigan State, you know, they've got some history to their program. You know, they're, they're Magic Johnson University. 
uh, you know, Tom Izzo is a really good coach. You know, he has created a lot of stability in that program and consistently has them, you know, in the conversation. And uh, UConn, I think, maybe qualifies as a new blood. Now, they had a really good run from 2011 through like 2014. See, I've got UConn on my I've got UConn on my new blood list. Oh, new blood, okay, they're, they're new bloods. Okay, yeah, because yeah, they, they had a really I, good run. I think a lot of people could be for what they've done in the last. I'm gonna just it's it stinks not being 2020 because it was so easy to think the last 20 years. Now I'll say the last 22 years, but post 2000, I mean, yeah, UConn's resume speaks for itself. But really, before that, not a whole lot there. They but had yeah, one championship in '99. Yeah, that's fancy. We'll, we'll, we'll lump it in. All right. 99, but, 2004, 2011, 2014. That's four championships in the last 21 years. That's right. not bad. Yeah, no, I think I think UConn definitely would um, jump in that. So are you ready for me to read my list? Because I yeah, got a list of some new points. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. And th- and there there are there are others out there. There's plenty that plenty that can be making the argument. But I think the most textbook new blood would have to be Gonzaga. Okay. And then, uh, and then no, and after no order after this, Baylor, you could make the argument for Villanova, as I kind of mentioned earlier, kind of a mm-hmm. fringe on both. Uh, Florida State could be one. There's okay. a few things to be said about them. Virginia, Texas Tech, UConn. Someone on my, tw- I asked this question on Twitter. Somebody had mentioned Arizona. I don't know if I'm necessarily sold on Arizona, maybe being in that list, maybe kind of a fringe there, I, I would put them in. I would put them in there as a new blood. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and I think it just really depends on how what we're looking at for how that new bloods compete. And I mean, you got to make the argument with Auburn for what we've seen the past the past few years as well, and just the dominance, the very sudden hard dominance we've seen out of Auburn and the consistency that they've had. Well, that was going to be my Curl. last question. Uh, is Auburn, you know? A new blood? Are they on that list? And what do they have to do to become a blue blood? Well, I think for the list, for the new blood list, anybody can argue different things how they want to. Do you say, well, you know, it's only really been the last five years of success for Auburn, so they're not going to be on that? You know, we at least need to see: is it? Do we consider it five? Do we consider it ten, fifteen, or twenty? What is that? What is that benchmark for it? Or do we just kind of say, hey? recent success, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not a, does it have to be 20 years of fairly consistent success or like five years of just very high, sudden, dominant success that we're just hoping is going to transcend a little either bit longer? Either or. I yeah, think it's either or. Yeah, and I think you could definitely make the argument for both, hence why Villanova would be on here for, or um, UConn for what they've done since 2000. But then you could make the argument for Auburn, even Virginia, who would only got it because they double dribbled. <laughs> and then teams like Texas Tech. They were also the first team to get beat. They were the first one seed to get beat by 16 in terms right. of history. Oh, that was awesome. I love that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah then, I enjoyed uh, that very much. And then what Baylor, what Baylor has been putting out year after year. And the interesting question I have for that, so what would it take for Auburn? I mean, I think you've got to look at, I mean, Bruce Pearl with his age. I mean, Bruce Pearl's not going to be coaching Auburn 20 more years. So whoever fills the reins after him is going to have to do it. And I think the guy after that, I mean, I think you've got to, to, to be, to be blue. I mean, I think you'd have to look to be a true, like, Hey, this is it. I mean, you've got to have guys that grew up knowing that dominance. I think you had to look for 20, 30 plus years of just steady, 
consistent dominance of the game. You got to win some. You got to you got to win multiple. You got to win multiple NCAA tournaments. You got to be turning out. I mean, you got to be essentially like, hey, I've never I've never filled a bracket out before, but I know to put Auburn in Elite Eight. Like that's just kind of how it has to be. Yeah. And I mean that that's going to be a long time. And I don't think I don't think anybody's. I mean, it's, it's what we'd love to see, but. You got to, you know, you just got to take that one game at a time. I mean, and and as like I said, this isn't a factor for Bruce Pearl. I mean, this is kind of how history sees. Like I said, I love that. I love that attitude. Me myself, how I approach it, whatever title makes the other teams pissed off, whatever mojo we can ride with, like that's what we're taking. Mm-hmm. So whatever narrative fits, what's going to make the other guy cry online? Like that's what I'm rolling with. <laughs> so. But they, they got to do something this year. I mean, they they Auburn has got a very pivotal march for what they're going to do moving forward and for history. Because, I mean, it's just how often are you ever going to get a team this good? I mean, Jabari is a generational talent. I mean, we may not see another guy like him play basketball at Auburn in our lifetime. See, but that's what I would argue that you, you're a blue blood when the Jabari Smiths become the expectation. Kentucky Kentucky is doing it. Yeah, they had one year where they sent their whole starting five to the NBA and had to reload. Still made like the Sweet 16 the year after that. Right. And but the, and that and there see that's another kind of jump against Kentucky is like is coach Cal a really good coach or is it just he just gets these one and dones and just kind of lives off that and you know we kind of saw what happened with it last year where Kentucky was in a major slump because they didn't have those one and done is how they made a career with. So is it sort of like, could an average coach succeed at Kentucky with just the name? Yeah. I think in the short term, yes, but I don't, you know, obviously not long term. But I got a chance to ask Bruce Pearl about this on a presser about you know how difficult it is to sustain winning when your best player leaves every single year. Every year, question. your best player goes, and you know he talked about it. He said, "We just got to go out and get the next guy and keep it pushing, right?" You have some guys that will carry over, um, your Devin Cambridges, your Allen Flanagan's, you know, guys who you know have talent but are not going to uh, go pro after year one. And then you got your Sharif Coopers and you've got your Isaac Okoros, and now your Jabari Smith, JT Thor, guys who come spend one year here and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. And you've got to rebuild the team. This this team may look drastically different next year. The common denominator is Bruce Pearl and his recruiting prowess and his process. So you know, kind of bringing to the conversation full circle, it starts with coaching. You have to have a coach who knows how to pull pull it all together in some kind of ways. I know Calipari has been getting the recruits, but I will give him credit for having to reload every year and consistently stay in the conversation because it is a difficult task, as noted by Auburn's own coach, that, hey, this is not easy. It's not an easy job. And then you don't miss when you get kids like Jabari. The good coaches, the blue blood coaches, do not miss when they get a kid like Jabari Smith. Right, you get your four and five stars, and it's like, oh, they're better than we expected. Because that's the thing with Bruce Pearl's guys, is it's this, oh, they're better than expected. And you got to put a little asterisk around Sharif just because of the situations that happened with him with the NCAA sit out and then him getting an ankle injury at the end of the season. Had Sharif had uninterrupted basketball season, I think we'd be seeing the same thing with him. But I mean, I think Isaac Okoro, especially, mm. it's that. And you can Walker Kessler, too. I mean, everybody, well, no one expected him to be this good, also. 
Oh, one other thing I was going to mention. Another team that you could throw in the New Blood argument for just recent performance, kind of in a similar trajectory as Auburn as well, as far as just some recent dominance in basketball, would most definitely be Wisconsin. Okay, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. New Blood, they're in New Blood territory, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think, I think you got to, if you're going to put in a <clears throat> New Blood argument, I think you definitely got to mention Wisconsin for really what we've been seeing what we've been seeing out of them for probably the last probably 8 or 9 years is when you can really say cuz you know they they were runner up in 2015 you know that's when they had that heartbreaking game I was believe North Carolina made a run on them right but and we saw kind of what they're what they've been doing this year as well so I mean Wisconsin there's a lot of so I guess the moral of the story is there's a lot of teams especially in this tournament who are really gunning for it. And I think we're kind of seeing a shift with the pen, where the pendulum lies in basketball. And there might be, especially with Coach K leaving and some of these other guys, like this, I say this void at the top, but definitely a little bit of opportunity for guys, or I say guys, for teams to climb. And missing, missing the tournament in 2020, kind of having everything off last year with COVID, you know, you sort of had a, little bit of a rumble and now that things are sort of getting back to normal in the sports world it's like a okay let's seize the moment and see who gets it and and that's kind of rolling into this tournament now we're recording this on a march 7th so sec tournament everything hadn't started but we don't know like there's so many teams who could make i mean you could make an argument that 20 plus teams could be final four teams yeah for sure and May, really, maybe you could even push that closer to 25. I mean, there's just so many up there because so many of these guys have kind of been tripping over themselves toward the end of the season. So, in no, that is going to be no a lot one, of these. Oh, go ahead. No one, no one team looks completely dominant to me. Right. No. Right. Well, I, yeah. And, and so on my bracket last year in the finals, I had Gonzaga, Baylor, and I had Baylor winning, and I felt very confident about that. And that is end up what happened. I don't have that level of confidence going in this tournament. Like, not even with like, hey, these are my locks for the final four. What, you don't like, think Chet Holmgren is going to lead Gonzaga to the, well, <laughs> to the championship? It's going to be so matchup-based. I mean, you, we could see Gonzaga get bounced in the Sweet 16 if they play the right team. Yeah, I true. mean, you know, it just, really what that team boils down to is, you know, everyone's always Chet, 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 and all the other guys said, when they lost to St. Mary's, I mean, Timmy was just, he was just, I mean, it looked like I was playing out there for him. Mm. I mean, he was just bricking up in the air. And, I mean, I forget what his final shooting percentage was at the end of that, but, I mean, he couldn't he couldn't buy a shot to go in. Right. And, you know, he is that veteran of that team, so, and no one else on that team could really pick up the weight when he wasn't. So, that's where you've got to kind of look at it and say, if they've got another team, like, if they got another game like that, or teams kind of look at film and say, hey, let's let's take Timmy out of the game, we could see Gonzaga really, really struggling to make it too far if they, if someone exploits that weakness because they're they're not playing bad teams anymore. Their reverse schedule they've had it's it's about to go it's about to go back on the right course. So they're going to have to buckle up and they're about to get you know socked in the jaw and they're not going to be playing in high school gyms anymore. Like it's going to be real basketball. And the thing the thing with these guys too is as you mentioned in the very beginning of the episode, like they don't have a championship. They've got a few. They got a few times where they've been a runner-up, including obviously recently as last year. And they want to get that monkey off their back because that's the biggest thing for them. I mean, that th- was their version in 1980 for Georgia. Was hey, y'all don't have a championship. Y'all don't have a championship. Y'all don't have a championship. Y'all can't sit with us. 
And man, have they come close and man, have they had so many chances. And they kind of had, you know, remember the term Clemsoning. Gonzaga kind of had that same reputation for up, oh, you know, don't put them too far in your bracket. Gonzaga always chokes or oh, they're, they're locked for the Elite Eight, but they'll choke. Mm-hmm. And we might see something like that with this year, but I mean, there's so much dependent on matchups. I could talk myself into having Gonzaga go to the finals. I could talk myself of them losing the Sweet 16, just all depending upon how that bracket lays out. Because like I said, there's not any dominant team. So I think they really, the only thing to kind of get at here is, all right, what what guys do we think are going to match up better with others? And Yeah, and who's going to get hot at the right time? Right. You know? it, it, yeah, we're going to have to see the heat. We're going to have to see how these, how some of these, uh, you know, post these uh, conference, excuse me, these conference tournaments goes and just say like, okay, which team's looking hot? Because no team's looking hot right now. Mm. I mean, Wisconsin was, and they just lost. Duke was, and they just lost. Auburn lost a few prior. And obviously Gonzaga lost to St. Mary's. So it's just, and then Arizona gets steamrolled by, uh, steamrolled by Colorado and just so on and so on. And let's be clear, in that loss to St. Mary's, Gonzaga never led in that game. From from the get-go, out the gate, they were down and they just never recovered. So they got dominated from start to finish in that game. I think to win their conference championship, they're going to have to go through St. Mary's again. So, you know, we'll get a chance to see. And, you know, by the time people hear this, we may already know the end results of that conversation. But um, I think you're right. There are no dominant teams right now. uh, And, you know, whether... Auburn is a blue blood or not is going to depend on what happens in the coming years. I mean, we've got a a final four in 2019. You know, I think in the next, whether it's this year or in the next two to three years, you get a championship. You're making a strong argument for why you're in the conversation as, um, as a blue blood with uh, one of the game's best coaches consistently getting the best players and that process-producing champion championships consistently. So, but hey, listen, great conversation about blue bloods versus new bloods. Listen, mm-hmm. is Auburn on the way to being a blue blood? Well, we know for sure Coach Pearl doesn't give a damn, but as fans, we give a damn. Memes, I appreciate you joining me to have this conversation tonight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll be back at you guys next week uh, to talk a little spring practice, but until then... War Eagle. War Eagle.